everyone. Robbie here. I'm excited to announce my 10th novel, Burial. Burial is a post-apocalyptic revenge western, my first non-horror novel. Here's a brief description. Emma Burns thought she'd left her outlaw past behind her. She had moved to the city, to civilization, to find peace with her husband and raise their young son as the world rebuilds in the wake of a terrible, forgotten war that left humanity in chaos. But she can't escape her bloody history. An old partner, Billy, finds her, commits an unspeakable crime, and then flees into the night. Now Emma thirsts for vengeance, but his death is not enough. Her heart craves a darker revenge. She must bury Billy's body in the radioactive hellscape that is the waste, ensuring he gets sent to the deepest, darkest hell. It won't be easy. She has wolves on her tail, ghosts from her past and present, who want to stop Emma and her ruthless quest. Nothing will stop Emma from delivering justice to Billy, whatever the cost. Burial is now out and available and is great for fans of the Dark Tower series or The Road. It is my first non-horror book, so I'd love for you to support it. It's my best yet. On to the show. everybody this is the simpson show i'm robbie with my co-host matt and we are here to talk about the simpsons from the beginning matt how are you i'm confused robbie confused and angered because what what even i just, i guess we'll get there <laughs> I can't. Uh, this episode's terrible we are brought to you by supporters on patreon you can support us by going to patreon.com slash the simpson show for only $2 a month, you gain access to all of our bonus uh, episodes. Our last last month's bonus episode was about Simpsons predictions. Matt and I uh, went down a uh, top five Simpsons predictions, why they happened, how they were predicted, how did the Simpsons know what was going to happen, or how they didn't know. It's very interesting talk. <laughs> it turns out that uh, a lot of people don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you make enough guesses, you get something right. Um for the $5 level, you get access to all that, plus new episodes early and uncut. In last week, you would have missed me and Matt uh, casting Clue, but with Muppets. <laughs> I can't even remember why we did that, but it was a lot of fun. It was fun, uh, but I did cut it from you. And also, a full oh. archive of all shows, all our old episodes that are currently falling off the field, remastered with better sound. Uh, appreciate all our supporters. This week's episode is E Pluribus Wiggum, episode K BFO3. Originally aired January 6, 2008. Da, 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 da. We made it to 2008, Matt. Woo. We're there. I just want to say, point out that for this particular episode, the Patreon one's going to be a good one because I don't know that I can't keep myself from swearing uncontrollably. So <laughs> you want to get the full effect. Uh, I tried. Oh, boy. Uh, this episode is written by Michael Price, directed by. Michael Polcino received a 4.7 rating with 8 million viewers. The chalkboard gag teacher did not pay too much for her condo. Was this Probably is, did, honestly. I mean, well, this condo. is 2008, Matt. I don't know. Oh, God, yeah. Right. Uh, for the housing crash. However, if the teacher te- teacher hung on to that condo till today, probably doing pretty o- doing okay now. Probably. Considering mm-hmm. the house now costs your soul. Oh, God. Your entire soul is what a house costs. Anywhere. I got very lucky, and I still look out at houses and go, oh, please let me never have to move. 
the couch gag, a parody of the medieval Bayou tapestry shows Ned Flanders and his family stealing the Simpsons couch. The Simpsons then take it back and kill Flanders. Matt's added note to this in bold. This is incredibly long. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel like there is a lot of stretching in this episode, just like oh. last week. I remember, I think last week was the was it the evolution one or something like that. Yes, that that uh, is yes. It, last week was the evolution one. That this was is it. a this is this is a good couch gag. I'm not going to say it's not, but it is extremely long. And then on top of that, we get the full intro, the full every tiny little thing intro. Yeah, full intro chalkboard gag, long couch gag, and the couch gag is isn't it's fine like yeah it's like it's interesting and like oh yeah it's like visually creative like oh they went but they did a medieval tapestry that's interesting told a story with that but after you watch the episode it's very clear this is stretching for length they needed to fill time uh episode guest star is john stewart as himself dan rather as himself oh boy uh i am I'm going to be furious this entire episode. That's just a, it's a fair warning to anyone who doesn't like it when we are angry or I don't know. I I'm just, this, this episode is shameless. Um, okay. So we begin. Episode starts, Matt. Episode starts with Homer, Lenny and Carl waiting for Mr. Burns to leave so that they can leave. As if the CEO would ever care whether his workers are are there or not mr burns seems like a very jerk boss but he's got more important things to deal with than whether his workers have left for the well, or not i i i they've played fast and loose with this over the years yeah aren't they would not be hourly employees would they i wouldn't think so they'd be salaried but i mean i can see uh you know because they're salaried uh they want to leave as soon as possible because any extra time they're working they are not getting paid but they can't because their boss is watching them, expecting them to work long hours uh, for that pay. So I, I can see this. This makes sense to me. Okay. Madam, my follow-up question. Does it make sense that we get at least a minute of Homer on a phone call? Oh. Because I, I, I'm like, I, I could just skip over this because it is worthless, but it takes a minute of the episode, literally, where Birds stops in the parking lot to talk to someone and the guys are annoyed because they want to leave. So Homer calls this man on his cell phone and they just show us this conversation with Homer getting confused and losing track of what he's trying to do with this man and then makes him dance like a prospector. Why? A really like Homer forgets that the whole point of him calling was to get them to like leave. He just wants to see this old guy do old timey dances. And I, I just, it is so pointless and stupid. And hey, I hope you guys are used or get, get used to us saying pointless and stupid because that is all this episode is. There is nothing of, I, I, I would say there is nothing of value in this episode. Not a single moment that has anything good in it. It is it is anti it is antithetical to worth. Okay, it makes me mad because <laughs> I'm a Wiggum fan, a Ralph Wiggum fan. I think when he is used in the proper way, he can make something just unbelievably funny. This is a complete waste because he doesn't even show up until the third act, basically. And yeah, it, it, uh, yeah the, literally the name of the episode is E Pluribus Wiggum. Okay, so well, we're gonna we have so they finally leave the plant. Burns leaves, so the guys leave. And then we get a scene, Homer driving home, and 
there, I guess this is of note. Is this the first time we've seen Homer with a cell phone? He's a flip phone here. I believe he's had one before. Okay. Homer talks to Marge on his, on his cell phone, which I I just I immediately went, "Oh wow, cell phone." I mean, at this point they are ubiquitous. I just I I don't know. I had a cell phone well before 2008, but um I think they're they are becoming more and more common. I mean, 2008 was already iPhone out. So not yes. only were we at cell phones, we were at smartphones. I mean, I had a cell phone when I was in – it was a crappy cell phone, but I had one in high school in 2004. I had a, a really crap cell phone, um, but it worked. So – but Homer talks to Marge, and Marge reminds him it's the first of the month, and it is time for him to start a new diet. Uh, this is the first time we – I will mention that I think they they write Marge here like she is she is recovering from brain damage. Like she, that is the most accurate thing I could ever I, use to describe I, what happens next. I can't. And this, so this and this is the she like literally feels like she had a head injury, and they had and that's how they wrote her because she tells Homer, "Oh, Bart was just saying that you have your enough gravity that you are pulling satellites from outer space," and Homer actually is the smart one. He's like, uh, "That was a joke, Marge." And Marge's answer is, it came from a real place, though. And what? there is never a moment where... And I think Lisa might be the only exception. Maybe Lisa. But even then, they stretch it. But every, every, every other character in this episode is written like they are a joke delivery device. Yes, yeah, so none of this comes from a place of character at all. They are, they're not human. No one in this episode, perhaps maybe Lisa, for a moment here or there is a human being. They are here to tell jokes. They might as all be wearing t-shirts to say, joke machine. I am here. It is family guy. You know, it is just, oh, we are here to deliver jokes. We do not have character. We are just joke machines. And promise they're not very funny jokes. Homer doesn't want to go on his diet. He Now he realizes, oh, I got to go home and start a diet. He doesn't want to. So he is going to have one final splurge one big binge before he starts his diet. So we get a montage of Homer eating junk food. A surprisingly long montage. This is what, 30, 45 seconds? Yeah, yeah. It's it's long, and it's uh, to uh, Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran. Um, I don't... I, throwing a popular song behind this montage does not make it good, guys. Uh, Homer just eats food from a lot of different fast food places. He gets like a fire hose of gravy, I think, at one point in his mouth or something. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, none of this matters. None of this matters. Uh, finally, we get, this is over 10 minutes later, and Homer needs to throw away all the trash to cover up. Uh, I don't. Suddenly, he's like, no, I can't have Mars seeing all the trash. There are. Wasn't. He's just making like. They but they literally just like say ten seconds later there's already a bunch of trash in the car. Why does it matter if Marge sees it? I don't know. I is yeah. I assume it's because she would notice the fast food trash as compared to the, the chairs. Um, we, and I, I honestly Matt, checks. I should. I'm, I already regret bringing this up because there is so much. This episode does not give, give a single crap about making sense, about building any kind of logical consistency, any kind of relation to the real world, or any kind of sense of realism. It doesn't care. Not at all. We haven't even got to the politics stuff yet. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsensical. Um, Looney Tunes makes more sense. You watch Wiley Coyote and The Road Runner, they make more sense than this episode of The Simpsons. Homer 
sees a trash can uh, that's shaped like Mel. Mel's mouth is a trash can, uh, which might be the only time I smiled in this entire episode. Didn't laugh, but I did go. I, I smiled at Mel going, thank you, or whatever he says when someone throws trash in him. Um, Homer decides this is his opportunity to clean out his car. Um, throws away a lot of trash. And this is another late teen season gag, like list gag. Just a list and, and is showing Homer throwing things away. Another 30 seconds of this. Like, you know, cups and newspapers. And finally, he throws a car battery in there. A leaky car battery. Throws it into this trash bin. And we see that the ba- battery acid leaks through the... Bo- I, I don't want to have to detail this, but I'm going to. It's to the bottom of the trash can and then opens up a gas main underneath the trash can. Robbie, you say that like it's not the most natural thing in the world. So contrived. This is all so contrived. Um, yeah, you could have just thrown a grenade in there, and it accidentally went off. I mean, it doesn't make any. It doesn't need to be this complex. It, well, I, like none of this matters, though. Like none of this actually matters. So he throws the the, the car battery away, and then Matt, that's not enough. They have Homer open up a box of cigars. He wants to light a cigar, and I don't know if you caught this when you were watching, but I did. Okay, uh, there's the there's a label. And this is this is so infuriating to me because uh, it's a joke that is literally targeting the kind of fan I am, uh, a critical one, where the cigars have a label and the cigars are labeled "Jerk Ass Homer Cigars" with a with a picture of a, a like a logo of Homer smoking a cigar. Now, how does this make any kind of sense? Well, it doesn't, Robbie. It does if you're trying to reach out to fans, I guess, and say, "Hey, we're 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 talking, we're reading the stuff you're writing." That's the best I got. Yeah, that's it's really just like it seems like. How about this? Is my my? I think this is a fair question for the writers. Unfortunately, I can't travel through time and speak to them. But this is my bare. This is my best. Uh, what's that name of that movie that uh that they sent radio transmissions through time? Uh, with uh, is that Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, oh, I think Dennis, I know the one you're talking Dennis, about. But... Dennis Quaid, I believe, uh, when they talked to his dad yeah. through, the, through time. It doesn't matter. Um, that that movie. You guys are probably thinking of the title, and yelling at it at your phones. But Frequency. Frequency. It's I I, I I wish I could do that. So it, was, it was Jim Caviezel. Uh, ah, uh, okay. Jake Gyllenhaal was a small child in 2000 when this came out. He wasn't a small child. Okay, he was, he was less than a teenager. He was in Donnie Darko in that era, and I and he was a teenager then. Um, in that 2002, I think, Donnie Darko came out, 2001, something like that. Yeah, um, or less, Jim Caviezel. But I could, if I could send this podcast back in time to the writers, I'd be asking, like, hey, you know, instead of writing this really self-serving joke about how you purposely write Homer poorly and as a terrible monster... Um, Instead of, like, making a joke, I don't know if this is lampshading that or you making fun of the people who are criticizing that. I don't really know. I don't really care. It does immediately break my suspension of disbelief and my immersion in any sense of this episode. But also, maybe just write a good episode. That would be actually my – like, why can't you just write a good episode where Homer does a thing for a good reason? Because literally, they just have Homer strike up a cigar – 
and throw a match away into into where now there's a gas leak and it blows up the entire all these restaurants all these fa- the fast food district as they they call it they, it blows them all up and we see we got a lot of sight gags here with people getting hit in the face with pizza dough and uh mount vesuvius pizza explodes you get it matt ha 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 ha, I it? sure do. Mount Vesuvius. Let's celebrate the death of uh, Pliny the Elder. Yeah, that's, it's, I mean, that's fine. I, I'm not like... It's the, it's the best joke in this episode, let's put it that way. It probably is the best psych egg in the entire episode. It's the, it didn't make me laugh. I went. It's more like the. It's like you go, ah. It's, it's kind of that. You're like, ah, yeah. Unfortunately, what everything preceded it and goes after it is awful. Um, We cut immediately. We we have a, a another long montage of all these restaurants exploding and uh, presumably killing people. <laughs> like, if you build, blow up these big buildings, there's definitely going to be people dying. But we don't. Who cares? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Um, we we cut to a town meeting, town hall with Quimby, talking about this fast food district, uh, which uh, motivates Homer uh, to get up and say something. In our fast food district destroyed 37 restaurants rated awful to mediocre and put these beloved mascots out on the street. (laughs) I told myself I'd stay strong. (laughs) There, there, cheesy McMayor. No one likes weepy meat. I can't stand it. They're a grown burger cry. We must rebuild fast food boulevard. I don't know about you. But I don't want to live in a future where food is brought by waiters, where the chairs aren't attached to the tables, and where I can't ditch my kids in a pit of dirty balls. I say we rebuild the fast food district bigger and better than ever! To raise the money, we'll need a bond issue. But won't that just shift the burden to your children? No, you idiot. We just pay for it with another bond issue. Let her figure out something to dump it on. Then it's decided. The bond issue will be part of our next scheduled election, the Springfield presidential primary. But that's not till next June. In that case, I hereby move the election up to next Tuesday. That means that Springfield's presidential primary will be first in the nation, even earlier than New Hampshire. Uh Uh-oh, they're gonna be cheesed. (laughs) (sighs) Fast food mascot humor is one of the lowest forms of humor. (laughs) What, Robbie? Uh, you did. Nothing, man. Um, nothing. I just... Okay. Okay, let me... I can't... Let's, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this. Before we move on, okay? Before we even get further into nonsense. <laughs> there's just going to be so much... It's just an onslaught. It's just an avalanche. Almost the plot. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's no, man. Here, I'm going to say this right now and probably reiterate it multiple times. There is no plot in this episode. There is not a story. Nothing happens in this episode. You might be confused. Oh, dear listener. You might watch this episode and go, oh, Robbie, that's not true. Lots of stuff happens. No, no. There are scenes. People talk to each other. They talk about things. They, they, yeah, there's a, oh, they, they move the primary up and now there's people in town and, and uh, Ralph is nominated and like there's scenes that talk about things, but they don't. There's there's no structure. They don't build anything. At any point in this episode, there is no direction. It goes from it just wanders off tangent and off into a billion different tangents uh, that is structured around whatever jokes they had. 
That is all that that all this is all this episode is. This is this is worse than Family Guy. People compare it to Family Guy esque, and that's true. But this is worse than Family Guy. There, this is the Simpsons writers. They were in the midst of oh, an election's coming up. We got a lot of election jokes. Let's just cram them all in there. Like what what jokes do we have? Let's write a scene around it. And that's all they have. There is no plot here. There is no story. There is no character. They're not saying anything at all. Like you talk about like Sideshow Bob Roberts. They are saying something in that episode. I ultimately think it's rather relatively tame and toothless, but it is something. Well, this, yeah. this is nothing. Uh, there is not a point at any like you say, oh, we're almost to the plot. No, we're ne- we never get there. There is never a plot in this episode ever it's we get closer to like the the main you might like this is like a i don't know you just go to a museum and you wander around and there are different exhibits and you're like oh look it's an exhibit about crusty talking to john stewart oh look it's an exhibit about talking heads on the news but there's no cohesive story that never happens okay matt i was gonna say first First, they never we they blew up fast food Boulevard, fast food fast food district that never comes back. Homer makes an impassioned plea about rebuilding the, the fast food district. We never even talk about it. Nope. In the remaining it doesn't matter. In the remaining thirteen minutes of this episode, not even touched upon once. We just let it's just gone. We it was like those restaurants, all those they're gone, and we don't care. Um, we spent five minutes setting up this elaborate, dumb uh, set piece where they all explode and Homer's upset about it. We never come back to it. Not even mentioned. It does not become an important part. Like, if you think, oh, well, okay, you have uh, something really bad happen to this town, and now there's a primary happening in the town. It's a perfect thing for a politician to seize on and talk about and spin for whatever their purpose is. No, they don't do that. Uh because that would in, that would in, that would that would require effort and thought and, and time spent on anything. So that never comes back. Uh, I'm going to ask another question, Matt, um, which is going to come back again. I'm uh, some of our international listeners kind of had alluded to how this episode is impenetrable to them because they don't they aren't really familiar with American politics. But I am familiar with American politics. None of this makes any sense. Like, this is nonsense. No, it's... This, this, it really ahead. is. Because the only thing this is, is a uh, a comedy send-up, I guess, of what uh, the this looks like to a normal person, I guess. And it just... It's absolutely inscrutable and pointless. Uh, because this is not the way it actually works. It's just dumb. It's the best I got. Yeah, there's... The, like, towns don't have primaries for like individual towns don't set it doesn't work like a mayor doesn't go oh we're gonna have the primary early no no you're not <laughs> you don't no, get to the, you, the states set that not for the towns yeah just, it is <sighs> you don't get to decide that mayor quit you're a mayor of a, a small to medium-sized city that it, it doesn't you don't. That's like it's saying like if like the mayor of Orlando, Florida went. Oh, Florida's gonna have a primary early this year, and Ugh. then and then everyone goes, "No, we're not." <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no, it's gonna stay the same as it has been. If if it's gonna change, it's gonna require action on state levels and and different the 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 parties having a lot of okay, like and like yeah, that is very complicated and boring. 
but that's politics. You can't, yeah, like politics is often impenetrable and boring. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And when you just say, "Oh, well, we want this to happen in our episode," so Mayor Quimby declares it. I go, "No, that's you. That none of that makes any." And like they just they just go with it, and you're like, "What?" Uh, and that just continues throughout this entire. And like you could spin that, you could take that and spin it into like the, all this nonsense is impenetrable and stupid, and make it mean something in the long term. Like, oh well, that's what this that's it's trying to portray how politics is impenetrable to an average person, but it doesn't do that either. It's just nonsense. No. Hey, 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 man! I got one more clip before we go to commercial. It's Dan Rather. As the day of the primary nears, this race is as wide open as a hobo's mouth at a pie-flinging contest. What do you New Hampshireites think of the current crop of presidential candidates? Well, Mr. Rather, the way I see it, as my father always said, the way I look at it... Dan, breaking news. Springfield just moved its primary a week ahead of New Hampshire's. Now it's the first one. Sweet mother of Murrow. We're off to Springfield, people. Come on, folks, move it. Grandma was slow, but she was old. You have no excuse. Into the truck. To Springfield! Quick, Springfield! The one the Simpsons live in. And they have to call back that stupid joke about no one knows where the Simpsons live. (sighs) I think that's it for Dan Rather, though. I don't think we see Dan Rather or hear him again. I don't think we do either. He's there's a lot of there's more news people throughout this episode, but we never Dan Rather appears in literally only this scene and then he's gone, which sure. Oh, uh, I didn't capture in this clip. There's one more thing that happens before the commercial, Matt. Uh, that is that old couple that Dan Rather is talking to at a diner. Uh, uh, they commit a, a robbery uh, and I think also a murder. We go to commercial at seven minutes and 40 seconds. And when we come back, uh, all right, um, we get a parody of cable news intros, just a whole bunch of graphics flashing around the screen. They're terrible and stupid. Uh, we see that the Springfield has gone crazy because they are now the first primary in the country. So all of the news organizations are there. Uh, we get someone interviewing Mo about who he's going to vote for and what he is a registered of. And just, no, no, let's not talk about being a registered sex offender, thanks. We don't need Mo to, to be that. <sighs> uh, Mo's is filled with reporters. Uh, one of them wants internet, so Mo charges him 20 bucks and yanks the cord out of a phone and gives it to him. I just, I just, it's so incredibly dumb. It hurts. But then... Then, shining light, we get John Stewart, and it's so much worse than I would ever think it would be. This is John Stewart reporting from Springfield. Do I need to say my name? People know me, right? No, it's just cable, but you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to just... Great, now I'm worried. Hey, hey, it's John Stewart, everyone's favorite political funny man. Hey, Krusty. Haven't seen you since you bailed on that benefit. Yeah, well, I really didn't believe in the cause. Well, Krusty's kids sure missed you. Yeah, they're great. Little clingy, but anyway, this Springfield primary election, pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, it sure is. With many comic elements, such as, uh... Well, you know, if you ask me, there's more hot air here than there is at... Uh, Are you writing this down? No, this is something else. So, uh, where is there less hot air than here? Albuquerque, by the way. 
The festival? Rush Limbaugh's sweatpants? Krusty, you're obviously fishing for jokes so you can steal them. No, that's ridiculous. More ridiculous than that place with all the hot air, which is... Well, I'll thank you to keep my zingers out of your mouth. I'm going to try and remember you the way you used to be. But I've always been terrible! So, yes. This is how we use Jon Stewart. Um, so, as Robbie helpfully points out in our notes, is there a plot? No. Not that we can tell, because, yeah, this is just the way it's going to go. It's just things happening. It's just scenes. And Jon Stewart is here, Matt. Jon Stewart in 2008. Big, big deal. Big deal. Uh-huh. Big deal. Um, maybe, like, have a... It, like have him do something like like th- what is this this is just a scene with a cr- they've li- a scene about crusty stealing jokes we're we're, mm-hmm. we're we're writing an episode that is theoretically this is a, that's and that word is taking a lot of it's it's carrying a lot of weight there theoretically this episode is about is a political satire about how how stupid politics are you know john stewart kind of did that for a while that was kind of his job that was his whole thing yeah maybe let him like maybe like involve him in that and like have him say something poignant it's intelligent about it no 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 we're gonna have a no, scene where we're john... just gonna have him with crusty oh my god there is no plot yet i'm waiting i am waiting i like th- the entire time i watched this episode Matt, my clock is ticking my eternal clock i'm like wait a minute where is the plot? Where's the story? What are we building towards? I read in the stupid synopsis last week. I said, oh, it's an episode about Ralph Wiggum becoming president. No, it's not. No, it's nope. not. Not even close. Like, that's not even We're 10 minutes in this episode. Nothing. Nothing. Just This is just politics as if it were in the Simpsons world. And it's dumb. And it's even worse than the real world somehow. Like, and I didn't think that was possible. Like, it feels like. They are, it feels like this is searching for a frame story or something. It feels like it needs, and that's, here, pitch. This is probably going to be part of our fix this episode because, oh my god, is this episode broken. You need a, you need a, this, this 100% needs a frame narrative it need, or or some sort of, of structure. You could have Jon Stewart coming to Springfield and you start with that and him coming into this town and meeting everyone for the first time. He is reporting on politics. They're having, Oh, it's primary season and Springfield is leading the charge. You don't need all this setup about it. You just start with that and spring and you treat Springfield like they treat all those towns in Iowa and New Hampshire, where you interview all these, these, uh, (laughs) these hillbillies. And ask them about their politics. And they go, oh, I don't know. What about taxes? You know, and then they don't know anything because they are they don't care about politics 99% of the year. You start with that. And then you lead into, you know, Ralph Wiggum becoming a presidential candidate or something. Whatever. But you have Jon Stewart there. You come back to him every so often interviewing people. Being on camera. And it gives it structure, it gives it purpose, and you have his voice. His voice is authority, especially in the in the field of political satire, and it gives this episode an identity. I watched this episode this morning, have never watched it before. How can I have this much better idea for an episode without even a thought? <sighs> 
because Robbie, you were not, you know, it wasn't coming up on five o'clock and you've got to finish this episode so you can get out the door and hey, beat Matt, the traffic. I mean, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question, Matt. Mm-hmm. I actually, I want you to ask me a question. Okay. Okay. I want you to ask me a question. You, you, the question you're going to ask me is, Robbie, how many hours do you work when you're writing a book? Robbie, how many hours do you work when you're writing a book? As many as it takes. Oh, that's crazy, Robbie. We all know you work on nine to five, and at five o'clock you clock out, and if the book's not done, you just go with what you have. What happens next, man? Well, it gets so much worse from here. <laughs> I know it does. Uh, so, uh, for the rest of this act until the very end, it's all just the Simpsons making goofy fun of the political process because you get the Democratic debates uh, where you get send-ups of Democratic candidates and how unlikable they are and how they all have actual plans for America and they're smarter than everyone else. Uh, and then you get uh, Homer, Lenny, well, and Matt, Carl giving Matt, their opinion. There is, this is, here, this is, I'm just going to give this one example of one of the, we don't meet, again, I, there is no substance to any of this. These are all momentary observations. Mm-hmm. And and they try and pass it off as jokes. One of the jokes is one of the Democratic candidates, his last name is Weiner Girl. That was a joke. I just thought that was a stupid name. No, that's, I mean, yeah, it's both. You think it was funny? Oh, no, of course not. Oh, okay, good. I mean, that's, but that, I mean, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be laughed at. I like, I'm just, I'm just giving you an example. That's just an example. Momentary. Again, we don't learn anything about any of these candidates. They aren't characters. They are caricatures. They appear for a moment and then they vanish. I'm sorry. Please continue, Matthew. Indeed. That's all right. Uh, as I was saying, uh, Homer, Lenny, and Carl asked to comment on Republican TV ads. Uh, the TV ad is incredibly stupid, and Homer, Lenny, and Carl are incredibly stupid. And that's basically where this goes. <sighs> mm. Uh, as Robbie helpfully points out, we are now 12 minutes into the episode and nothing is happening. It's just jokes about the political process. Uh, we have a, a long series of jokes about candidates, about, uh, Bill Clinton having to put up signs for Hillary because of all the horrible things he's done. Uh, it's just there because someone thinks they do a good Bill Clinton impression. Uh, we see the Simpsons house has an undecided flag, uh, or, you know, banner outside. Sign. This I, is a, obviously what you put up I, when you're undecided. What world does this reflect, Matt? A very exaggerated version of the real one, possibly. I live. Possibly. I, I, I live in Austin, Texas. It's a very, I don't know, progressive city. At least has that that reputation. And I have a lot of neighbors who will put up, you know, signs to say the people they 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 uh, you know political candidates I support. And it's not ever every single house and where where my, can i where's ralph oh don't worry Ralph. we're gonna get there oh, okay okay i'm waiting i'm i'm just looking at, i'm uh-huh. like there's but, we're, we're I, but, but matt this. there's not much episode left we're almost to the third act like there's not much where like are we gonna don't worry robbie i will let you know when uh, ralph shows okay, up okay cool thanks i appreciate that all right so the Simpsons, as the last undecided voters, apparently, have all the news organizations and candidates and their staffers show up and just run in the door. There's well, it's supposed to be a joke of a battering ram that is used to knock on their door, uh, which ha 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 ha. So they these candidates all show up and try to have photo ops with the family and spout it off their stupid buzzwords until eventually they are kicked out by the family because, of course, they would. They wouldn't even let them in, in the first place. It's just the dumbest thing ever. Uh, I will 
want to, I just want to stop at this point and point out that at least Fred Thompson shows up. Uh, for those of you who don't remember Fred Thompson, he was the guy in charge of the airport in Die Hard 2. He was a sitting senator and an actor at the same time. I don't think so at least he wasn't wasting his time. I don't think it's actually Fred Thompson, though. I'm sure it's not actually Fred Thompson, but he is there in spirit. Okay, fair enough. Dang it. You like Fred Thompson. <laughs> uh, all right. And now we get to the very end of this act where Homer is fed up with what is happening and makes his feelings known. Is everyone here as sick of those stupid politicians as I am? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. What about the media? They're not covering the issues. They just want to declare a front runner and go back to their mansions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who wants to abolish democracy forever? Show of hands. Now, I could really go for some kind of military dictator like uh, Wad Perone. When he disappeared, you, you stayed disappeared. Plus, his wife was Madonna. What are we going to do? We can't not vote. Nobody does that. Why don't we all pick the most ridiculous candidate and write him in? You mean Dennis Kucinich? Hey, I'm right here. Oh, sorry. No, no, this candidate has to be unbelievably ridiculous. Chief Wegum. No, but you're close. Roll over, Ann Coulter, and tell James Carville the news. Springfield voters have overwhelmingly rejected the major candidates of both parties in favor of a write-in, eight-year-old Ralph Wegum. Shockingly, this new face is now favored by 53% of likely voters. A new front runner has been crowned. <laughs> what I did made the TV thing happen. Yes, we get lots of praise for right-wing dictators and the hatred of democracy. So they're going to make a mockery of democracy by nominating a child who is not even eligible to vote, let alone stand for office. And this is where we go to commercial. Not even having met Ralph yet. This is a little bit... Okay. Uh, I'll mention this. I think this is interesting. Uh, when Lenny and... The, the little discussion there between Lenny and Carl about uh, Juan Perón and dictator killed people. Uh, our people of Argentina were uh, upset about this. Um, I'm shocked. I'm, yes. Uh, this episode has never aired in any Spanish-speaking countries, uh, apparently. That's what I, I, I read here. Good. They, they dodged a bullet. They did dodge a bullet. Uh, not for the, the not for the reasons they thought, but they, they didn't have to watch this terrible episode. But um, until 20, 2016 was the first time this episode aired. Um, that just goes to show you what they thought was funny and the writers thought was funny and was obviously, obviously not. Uh, this, if it had the scene, I'll say this, Matt, the scene has a viewpoint it has perspective it is actually saying something it's the first time in this episode that is something of substance is being said that it is not just thin parody like we have seen up until this point we've seen talking heads on it we've seen news reporters and we've seen like you know uh, these candidates who say nothing and are nothing and like what are you saying? What are you tar- like you can't just say oh politics are stupid that is not uh that's not you got to be more targeted when you're writing satire, okay? You got to have something in mind a little bit more clear, more than look at all this silliness. Isn't this crazy? Which is all this episode does up until this point. Um, this scene is very much like, well, oh, look, when you put it in the hands of all uh, a normal, dumb American like Homer Simpson, this is what he thinks it works. We're just going to vote for Ralph Wiggum. And if expanded upon structured well and given some space time to develop this could be meaningful like 
it speaks to a, a populism that got Donald Trump elected and that we've seen in the same sort of uh, populism that has come and come and risen in a lot of different countries around the world and could be really interesting. And the, the Simpsons are certainly equipped to handle that in America. Springfield is that small town that is the perfect place to tell a story about it. But like everything else in this episode, after this scene is over, <laughs> it goes to the wind. It just we just talk about something else for a little bit, and then oh, Ralph's here, and then we're talking about we're, okay. We come back from commercial, Matt. Fourteen minutes and fifty-two seconds, almost fifteen minutes. We have about six minutes left. Uh huh. We have not even met Ralph yet. We've seen Ralph. We've seen a picture of Ralph on television. That is all we have done. This little child who used like Ralph is. In all honesty, Matt, yeah, it makes no sense that Ralph, Ralph obviously is an eight-year-old boy. He can't run for president. Every, Lisa later says all this stuff. It. We immediately cut to the news, where the news is yelling about Ralph Wiggum. Back and forth, all the different talking heads. Blah, 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 blah. Ralph saying ultimately nothing about Ralph Wiggum. We don't even know what party he's in. He's a little boy, blah, 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 blah. Um, and... We get a scene here with Lisa and Marge and then Homer and Bart, the Simpson family. And Lisa, I titled, this is the title of this clip, Matt. Lisa is the only character that is trying to make this an episode. Mom, they're taking Ralph's candidacy seriously. This is a disaster. Speaking of disasters, have you seen this? Springfield Dodge bought too much inventory. And they've only got one weekend to get rid of all the 07s. Lisa, I'm sure this wigamarole will blow over. You have to have faith in the wisdom of the average voter. I dig the wig. I dig the wig. Oh, dear God. Come on, Lise. Hop on the wigam wagon. Ralph said he'd let me be secretary of Indian Burns. Here's my first official act. Ow! Ralph can't be president. He's the dumbest person in the slowest reading group. Lisa, being president is easy. You just point the army and shoot. Ralph is only eight years old. It says in the Constitution you have to be 35. The Constitution? I'm pretty sure the Patriot Act killed it to ensure our freedoms. Ooh, the Patriot Act is so terrible. The government might find out what library books I take out. What's next? Finding out what operas I go to? With the exception of what Lisa is saying, I hate every word in that clip. <laughs> It hurts my brain. And especially Marge, who is supposed to be the voice of reason, is misled by an ad? I, Marge, again, Matt, they're writing. Marge has, like, I think this is, she literally has two lines in this entire episode. And that's the second one. And they're both written like she has brain damage. Like, she is like, oh, look, this, this advertisement for trucks, she's reading it like it's news. And I'm mm -hmm. like, Marge is not an idiot, guys. Like, this is that is a Homer line. That is a Homer line, not a Marge line. Why can't Marge have a she could? Oh, my Lord. It's just again, Matt, there's no uh -huh. there's no viewpoints here. There's no actual there's no it's not written from character. It is. We have jokes. We need to put them in mouths of characters that and they will say them. They will recite them verbatim. They will not makes sense in context. Uh, Lisa's is behaving like this is an episode, uh, but this is still not an episode. 
Like, Lisa going, oh, they're treating Ralph like he's a candidate. Okay. Like I said, you Ralph is a good character for this because he's young and dumb and innocent. You know, he he's an innocent child. And that innocence is a really good contrast to the whole political process. There's no innocence in the American political process. It is cynical and jaded and awful. And Ralph is in stark contrast to that. Where Ralph is this little innocent boy and he has to decide what he wants to do with all this. And we haven't yet we haven't well we haven't met we haven't talked to Ralph yet. We haven't heard we haven't even had a scene with him yet. Like what what's the point of all this? Like if you're gonna build to Ralph running for president and make it serious and like treat it like real political satire, you have to like write it not like as a story. Not just a collection of scenes that were like Lisa seemingly is trapped in this world where everyone else is just doing nonsense. Like Homer and Bart representing this like, oh, this dumb American voter who just like, yeah, Ralph. Like, okay, put it in a context where it matters. Because in this context, it doesn't matter at all. Especially these next couple scenes, Matt. Where we get the Republican headquarters, which we've seen before. Uh, them tr- right. they want to they want to court Ralph. I don't. I literally have no idea what the scene is supposed to accomplish. Is it it's making supposed to show you how evil the Republicans are? Obviously, like okay, it's so boring. Like this is so boring. This is so dull. There's this like political satire is supposed to be edgy and 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 feel satire in general is supposed to push. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. There's supposed to be a little tiny feeling inside where you go, hmm, when you watch satire. You're like, oh, right. And, like, reminds you of the real world. This is, like, again, this is feels like it was written in 1982. Like, oh, look at this. The Republicans, 1982. Like, they want Ralph. Okay. This is toothless. It doesn't feel... It doesn't feel pointed. It, is, it doesn't get to any real complaints you would have about the Republican Party. Calling them just, like... Like vampires, like what? What? Is, what are we doing? Uh, we get to then. Matt, we can't. We got to be. You got to be fair and balanced here, okay? So we're gonna go to the Democrats meeting, <sighs> and they're meeting at a Trader Joe's or a, a simulacrum, an analog of the tra- of Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods mm-hmm. type price, a t- type uh, grocery store. Uh, who are and this is the same thing. It's this literally. It's just a mirror image of the Republican, where it's just like, oh, this is the toothless criticism of democrats like they have the the one of the gay caricatures leading the the leading the meeting like a lot of just boring dull look at democrats they're not good really this is what we're doing guys if you want you want to criticize the democratic party there's plenty there this is not it this is no terrible. The comment before about uh what was it prissy know-it-alls or whatever that's a legitimate uh you know um uh, criticism this is just stupid this is just dumb and like you want to like like be pointed here guys like it just feels so rushed and feels so underwritten like if you spent time with this and like i have no issue with oh we have like there should be a scene if you want to write an episode about ralph running for president and he hasn't he's not committed to a party there should be a scene where the republicans and the democrats both try and court him but ideally you'd have the republicans talk to ralph and you'd have the democrats talk to ralph 
Ralph's not. We still haven't seen Ralph. <laughs> the name of the episode is E Pluribus Wiggum. We have yet to see Ralph. He has not uttered a word yet in this episode. Nope. Not a single one. We finally get we finally get to a scene where we get to hear Ralph talk. We're at we go to the Wiggum house. Republicans are one side of the yard, Democrats the other. They both want to hear what Ralph's gonna say, if he's gonna commit to a party, etc. etc. And this is what we get. This is Kent Brockman reporting from the Wiggum compound, where both parties have gathered to court the most charismatic child since Drew Barrymore in Firestarter. When she got mad, they got burned. Ralph, both parties want to offer you their nomination. Whom do you like? Go ahead, Ralphie. You're invited to two parties, one with a donkey and one with an elephant. Who do you like? Elmo? Ah, Admiral Elmo Zumwalt, Richard Nixon's chief of naval operations. So, Ralph's a Republican. Not so fast, Kent. Zumwalt ran for the Senate in 76 as a Democrat. Oh, no way, Lou. You're thinking of Admiral Hyman Rickover. The father of the nuclear navy? <laughs> as if. Uh, only one place to settle this, to the offices of the World Book Encyclopedia. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how do I talk about how do I talk about this intelligently? I don't know. I was trying to think of like this how, is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. How do in my I try life. and analyze? There is like, let's start with this. You have to engage. You have to write these characters like they are real people. If you want your audience to be invested in the story, obviously this episode has no real story, but in any kind of narrative fiction you have to treat your characters like they're real people like they have like they they have stakes like they have motivation they want things and they themselves care about the world they care about who they are they care about their family and their friends and you listen to that that clip where okay here are the stakes ralph has been voted by majority uh, it will buy into all the nonsense, hand wave all that away about primaries and whatever. Hand wave all that away. Ralph is the majority leader right now, and both Republican and Democratic parties want him to represent them because he he's winning. And they don't care about anything else. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Interesting. You could do a lot of things with that. And we haven't heard from Ralph yet. Big problem. But we're going to see what Ralph says. And... You have Chief Wiggum there, his dad, Ralph's dad. Now, Matt, in your mind, in your in your headcanon for Chief Wiggum, he loves mm-hmm. Ralph, right? He loves his son. He does. But uh, it seems like he also loves the spotlight more. Chief Wiggum is an idiot, right? But he does love Ralph. Oh, yeah. He, Chief Wiggum's a moron. Most of the people in Springfield are idiots. But he does love his son. Um We've seen it happen. We've seen it before in other episodes where he is willing to go to great lengths to protect his son and help him out and uh, try his best to make Ralph happy. You know how simple Ralph, how simple Ralph is, but he still does love Ralph. And there could be a, this episode could be a really good chance to deepen Chief Wiggum just a little bit. You know, just enough for because obviously Ralph's a little kid; he doesn't know a lot and. You can have Chief Wiggum there trying to guide him best as best he of could. Course. And and Chief Wiggum's also an idiot and also doesn't know much about politics, but he could be like 
they could also be trying to sway not just Ralph, but Chief Wiggum, because Chief Wiggum is ultimately going to be help swaying Ralph himself. And you could see Chief Wiggum, like, trying to see what's best for his son. And, like, that could be a little interesting push-pull, a dynamic you could add to an episode. But in this scene, there is never a moment, like, that Like that 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 question of, of Chief Wiggum going to Ralph, hey, Ralph, what do you like more, elephants or donkeys? That's... That is a. I want to picture. I want you to picture this, Matt. That is a like that is that 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 one line is like a window into an alternate episode where you expand that line of thinking, that line of questioning into a broader discussion about politics and how we have delineated everything down into these two parties. You're either you're you're an elephant or you're a donkey, and et cetera, et cetera, and let that. Let that guide you as you write the entire episode and and have Ralph have to decide between these two parties, et cetera, et cetera. But Chief William just runs away. He just drives away. He gets into this discussion about nonsense um, with um, Lou. Or no. Yeah, Lou. It's not Eddie. It's Lou. And they drive away. They leave. He leaves his son. Mm -hmm. Ralph, this little boy, can't take care of himself. They leave him. They just leaves him. Abandons him. Uh, Sarah's not there. I don't know where uh, Sarah Wiggum is, but she's, she's not unimportant to the plot. Right? Uh, I guess uh, Ralph is an independent agent in this case. I mean, that's the thing, Matt. Like he's not though, and that like that should be a focal point of this episode because he's a true innocent. And there should like the the thing is like oh everyone's trying to sway him and get his vote. He was a nonsense vote because because all these. Voters are disaffected and they want to just so they just want chaos because they're so tired and, and and exhausted from this political process that ultimately is meaningless to them. Whoever they vote for, the same thing happens. And that is a genuine reaction from many, many people. They feel like they have no power over their lives. It doesn't matter who they vote for. The world changes around them and they react. Doesn't matter what they do. And Ralph could be a great representation of that, of this little innocent kid with all these different forces trying to pull him and utilize him to get what they want. And you have all these different forces vying for control of this little child. It's, it, it, is, it is representative of like, uh, like a, a child king, like uh, in, in like a fantasy where, oh, there's a little kid who's king and he has all this power, but he doesn't know what to do with it. And so you have all these voices coming in and saying, hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do that. Hey, you should join us. Hey, you should join us. And I started by saying, oh, they need to make these characters real. And they have to have concerns and cares. Chief Wiggum should care about his son and want to make sure that none of these groups hurt him. And if that spins out into Chief Wiggum getting bribed by one of the parties and trying to get Ralph to go that way, and perhaps Lisa being the counterpoint to that. Sure. That's something. It's an angle. It's a story. But the scene is just Ralph going Elmo and nonsense. Uh, also, Ralph has to be a little bit smarter for this to work. I'm sorry. You, you have to have a child with some kind of input. This, at this, all. You need to go back to like season two, Ralph. Season two, I, you know, I love Lisa, Ralph. Like, that that that's the Ralph we need, and you can easily bring him back. Okay, you don't need like mindless Ralph in every episode. You can bring back some sort of coherence to Ralph and still make this work. Um, 
make it work better, quite frankly. Yes, make it work better. Ralph is so Ralph's there. His dad has abandoned him. He is sworn by all sides by all these political people. He doesn't know what to do. He retreats to his house and Lisa goes with him. Uh, there are some some members of the political party come in and try and sway Ralph. Lisa chases him away and we get effectively the end of this episode where she talks to Ralph and then the episode stops. Ralph, they have no right to do this to you. They just want to use you. Maybe I want to use them. Maybe you want Use them to make this country great again. When we're mad, we'll just use our words. Then the rest of the world will play nice with us, and the only boom-booms will be in our pants. Maybe you wouldn't be such a bad president. And you can be my first ladle. I like the sound of that. Ralph! 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 The following is a paid political announcement by the Republican and Democratic parties. Compassionate. Tough. Curious. These are all words Ralph Wiggum doesn't know. But he doesn't need to know them. He lives them every day. I'm voting Ralph for president. His easy smile makes me think everything is okay, even when I know it ain't. I'm voting for Ralph, too. But don't tell you know who. On November 4th, vote for the latest in a long line of great American leaders. I want a tricycle and a dog who won't chew my Hot Wheels and a brighter future for America. I'm Ralph Wiggum, and I've been a good boy. And that's the end of our episode. Yep. It ends with that. That is the end. Ralph, an ad for Ralph Wiggum as a candidate. And my final word on this in their notes was, what the hell was that? That is what I say. It is the crusty reaction dot gif. What the hell was that? This is not an ending to an episode. This is the beginning. This is the first act. Or maybe the turn of the second act if you're really industrious in that third one. But what happens, Matt? You tell me. What happens after this? Where, where, how does this episode we, end? We don't get to know. What is this? What is this? This is this sad excuse for an episode where... This is pathetic. That is the word that I kept coming back to in my mind, Matt. Pathetic. Pathetic. I I, I am an indie, self-published writer. If I wrote a book that ended with no conclusion, with not even a hint of an ending, I would get ripped apart. People would be furious with me after they paid me $5 for my book. And they would be rightfully angry at me. They paid good money to read my book, and there was no ending or even an excuse for an ending. There is no. We get an ad for Ralph. What happens after this? Does Ralph. So he's a part of. Ralph's a part of a Democratic and Republican conglomerate. They've joined forces behind Ralph. Well, what does that mean? Does Ralph go on to other states? Does Ralph actually run for president? We just. Don't know. That's the real problem. And it's like, is this trying to say something about our political system where we need somebody who's incredibly stupid to be in charge because otherwise uh, the other side will vilify them? I don't know. That's None of us know. That's the thing, man. I don't know is the answer to any question you have about what any of this means, what it's pointing at. Like, it, the it's the broadest of political satire where it's just like, oh, look at all this. This is stupid. I'm like, you're not that's not helpful. And it's it's been my biggest complaint 
about political satire in general broadly in America for the past decade where all they do is say, look at all this nonsense. Isn't this stupid? And it, but it doesn't. And, and people laugh at it and it achieves nothing. It really says nothing and it accomplishes nothing. Political satire at its best will guide people and change and help change viewpoints and make people realize the truth and hopefully affect real change. And I've come to a point in my life where is is political is is political satire ultimately useless and empty, or is it just we've just seen just really bad political satire? I don't really know that I'm not sure. It's one of the two. Uh but this is certainly very bad. There is no story. There is nothing to this. This is just a bunch of scenes. They start getting somewhere. They start writing a plot in the in the final three minutes of this episode, and then it ends. Or I should say it stops, because you don't get an ending. An ending yeah. wraps up a story and tells us what happens to all these characters and resolves us and gets back to this. In The Simpsons, gets us back to the status quo. And they have just stopped doing that. This is not the first episode that's done it recently. There's a slew of them where they just go, oh, well, it doesn't need an ending. You remember this? How Matt, I'm asking you. This is a crazy question. Remember when Simpsons episodes had endings? Yes, unfortunately, I do. Where the, this, this, the characters would go, oh, that was that was an episode. And would, that would and so they'd maybe make a, a funny joke. There'd be a heartfelt moment undercut. And they would cut through some of the sweetness with like a little bit of a little cynicism, a little joke. And then we're out. We roll credits. Dun 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 dun. But no, now in season nineteen, season eighteen, we just stop. We just stop the episode because oh oh, if we oh we got to the end, we ran out of time. Yeah, we do need an ending, but we can't just end it here because we'd have to rewrite the entire episode to actually have a story and make sense, uh, have characters and development and arcs and structure. Oh, that's too much work. Oh, we gotta write. You know, we gotta go go write another episode tomorrow that's the same thing and this is what makes me so angry matt about well oh they had to write a lot of episodes they didn't have much time and they were pretty strict about enforcing you know 40 hour work weeks or whatever um but all the episodes are like this (laughs) there's like there's there's very few that aren't just this so what is all the time going to what are they spending their work on work hours on is it just like oh let's spin up 20 terrible episodes and to be fair, like, it's not like everyone else, the people who aren't writers working on the show, aren't doing a lot of work. The voice actors still have to do their jobs. The director still has to do their job. The animators, my God, the animators, they have to work as hard as ever. Every episode, they have to work as hard as ever. It doesn't matter what is written. They have to animate 20 plus minutes of animation every single episode. And that is really hard work. But the writing is abysmal. And there is nothing here, Matt, I'll say this. This is my only this is my only positive about this episode. There's no like you know racism really in it. There's no like, you know, there's no That's homoph- true. There's nothing horrifically mean about it. There's no racism, there's no homophobia, there's no transphobia, there's no uh w- weird, you know stereotypes of uh of native americans or anything like that which you know, i was going back and looking at some of our old episodes we covered in the teen seasons and there's just abysmal racist stuff and there's none of that in this but 
And I, I don't know. I, I, this might be the laziest episode of The Simpsons we've watched so far. Laziest written episode of The Simpsons. Like, there's just nothing here. I, I, I'm sure they put plenty of time into coming up with these jokes, but nah. There's, it, I, I didn't laugh. I don't know. Like, that's how I judge a comedy. Is it funny? No, there's not a joke in here. I don't like Krusty Steeler jokes from Jon Stewart is not a joke. Some couple in New Hampshire becoming murderers for rant for no reason is not a joke. Set up punchline, guys. It's not complicated. Like, my Lord. <sighs> oh, boy. We'll rank it at the end of the show. I mean, I feel like I, I don't know how to ask, but Robbie, is this episode broken? No, you were right the first time with that quick fix idea. Let's see. Quick fix. Quick fix. Uh-huh. It's formality is important in a in a in a show. You have to you uh-huh. know, in, intro segue, you know, into new segments. Yes, this episode's obviously broken. Like there's, it, it is literally pieces. That's all this episode is. Like if you can picture an episode in your mind, it is a it is a a puzzle that is assembled. There is no, there. They have not put any pieces together. There are only puzzle pieces here, and some of them do not even belong to the same puzzle. This can't, I like. This is not complicated to me, really. Like at least the structure is not complicated. Like it's so. Like you have John Stewart. Like I said, utilize him. Have him, and 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 I don't know. I have to think it's because they want to fill the time. They do not want substance at this point. We're this far in that we are after the movie. The movie's done and over. You cannot use that argument. Oh, they were spending time writing the movie. The movie's done. At this point, you're they're the writers. Every episode like this, they're telling me we don't want substance. We are we do not want substance in our episodes. We want nonsense and filler because you don't need an entire first act of Homer and the guys at the plant. You don't need Homer driving around eating fast food or blowing up these restaurants or or going to a town hall meeting where you reorganize the primary. You literally start. You start in media res with John Stewart in Springfield because they have re- they've they've moved the the you and you just hand wave all this away because you don't spend time on it. You just say, oh, the state Springfield is in has moved their primary season up so that they are now first. You don't need a reason yeah, for and it, and then you get rid of all the stupid fast food jokes and the diet jokes and the work jokes, and because none of that is funny and none of it does anything for the plot. It's just boom, we're already in this, okay? And you then sh- we're gonna figure out you what happens. Start there. You start you, that. You, that is the foundation. Is oh, John Stewart reporting from Springfield, and and he goes around, and it is through the lens of him viewing Springfield for the first time, and you get John Stewart who is very smart very funny and you get him bouncing off these characters and you get him interviewing homer about politics and just like you would interview people in iowa or new hampshire during the primaries and homer gets to be that that the small town guy about what he thinks about politics and it turns out he doesn't have really strong feelings about anything other than he doesn't want to pay more taxes and blah 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 and that spins out into homer getting fed up with the political process, maybe he and Lisa and and everyone bounce off of each other a little bit. And Lisa is like, you have to like, it just, it boggles my mind. I'm like, I'm just overwhelmed. But you have, by the end of act one, Ralph is the leading candidate. 
somehow. We, we often talk about how you get one gimme per episode, and that would be your gimme for somehow Ralph is a candidate. And we're just going to go with that because you get one. Well, you can easily write this off. You can easily write your way through this, Matt, where where Lisa goes to – you literally would have the, the two – the two political party, you could have their leaders right there. And, and Lisa goes to both of them and they go, and she goes, well, he's an eight year old boy. He can't be the winner. But both of the parties are just like ignore her and go, hey, who, no, what are you talking about? I have this paperwork right here. It says he's 35. There you go. Yeah. And that's yeah, it. It would work in Springfield. And it would work in America, Matt. Like, I don't know how, like there is not, it's never been more clear to me that we, the rules are suggestions, and unless someone actually enforces them, they don't matter. Uh, first act, lead up to Ralph being the leading candidate. Second act, powers vying for control of Ralph. This is not season 19, Ralph. We need season two or three, Ralph, where he's slow, dumb even. But, but not like incredibly not, nonsensical. Like, he's not a, he has a brain. He's not a dog. Which is how they write Ralph. They write him like he's a stupid dog. You don't like he needs to have some sort of sentience, sapience for this to work. Then you have all these different powers vying for Ralph, and Lisa tries to help him out. And and you she you could see her. I would Chief Wiggum is a perfect foil for that. You have both of them trying to, and and you could even that make it about Chief Wiggum like you know the the political powers trying to get him like hey Chief we could give you this amount of money or hey you want a boat hey Chief Wiggum new car just shows up in his driveway like that like those things like oh yeah we're they're trying to gain control of Ralph and Ralph becomes a symbol of all this and through this process we get Ralph struggling and not knowing what to do and wanting to do the right thing and wanting to care about people and then Act Three is. We're about to come to the brink of a decision for Ralph. And ultimately, Ralph says, I choose neither party. Uh, and this is empty. And the reason that people put me, the, the reason people voted for me in the first place is because they feel powerless. It's because of you. And you need to change. We need to change this system. That's the best I got, Matt. I, I like it. I mean, that because that would pit Chief Wiggum versus Lisa in a what do we want politics in America to be? Do we want it to be incredibly corrupt, which Wiggum has been shown to be in uh, on multiple dozens of occasions, I would say. Or do we want it to be idealistic and to people to believe in the system? And that would be Lisa's position. And we could have some back and forth between that. And it could come down to, I mean, there's lots of ways you could end it. You could have Ralph just saying he's done with it because or someone actually – cares that he's not actually 35 and says no obviously this is fake and then the whole thing just has to end like there's a built-in ending to that that makes sense and there's conflict and there's pathos and characters being themselves i mean you could do lots of things with that none of which they chose to do with this no and in the entire time whenever the, the episode starts to feel aimless or oh we don't know what to do next you have john stewart there as a crutch effectively where oh what scene do we right now? We don't know where to go to, or we need a joke here. This is kind of sad. Oh, well, John Stewart's here to make a quick, quick witted joke, uh, reporting on something. And he, and he kind of just reminds the viewer what's going on in the episode and carries us through it. And that's how you end the episode as well with, uh, John Stewart making a, 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 in one half, it'd be like basically a very earnest and, uh, response to Ralph, 
and what he said. And then the other half would be a funny joke about how none of this makes any sense and doesn't matter because Ralph's eight years old. <laughs> and like that, mm-hmm. like, boom, we're back to status quo. There is an ending and Ralph doesn't. There's no political ads for Ralph because he never ends up running for president. It never gets out of Springfield because it doesn't need to. Springfield is a microcosm for the U.S., for America. Why on earth don't the writers of the show understand that? That's a grand. That's a fantastic question, Robbie. I mean, we we could probably argue they still don't seem to grasp that fully because we get some really great episodes and we get some real stinkers. And I think they're just trying to please everybody instead of picking what is the Simpsons about. They're going to make some episodes that please people who just want easily understood stupid jokes, and they're going to have some that actually have characters in them. And unfortunately, I think we're going to be in that conflict for basically as long as the Simpsons are on the air. But it's okay, because we're not talking about this specific episode, so we can go on to something more interesting. Okay, fair enough. Uh, not well, sort of. We can move on to our next segment. It's time for comments from the news group. Okay, here we are. Alt.nerd.obsessive. Comments from the news group is where I ask our patrons what they thought of the episode. Give them their, They give their thoughts, their opinions about the episode. First up is Benjamin. I get what they're going for with their satire. Maybe they, maybe they even made a few good points in there, but I can't get get I can't get past how dumb this was. There are just so many questions about how any of this makes any sense. I feel like I'm going crazy here. Mayor Quimby doesn't have the power to move a primary. The winner of the first primary rarely wins the presidency. Ralph is eight years old. Plot has many threads that can be pulled, and the whole thing falls apart. Yes, they attempt to explain away the age thing. No, I do not care. It's so dumb, and it just ends with Lisa, of all people, getting in line. I hate it. I feel dumber for having watched it. Uh, From Derek, it's hard to even put together a coherent review because this is barely an episode. The plot structure, if one even exists, is so ramshackle that when I first watched this episode, I had no idea what I just sat through. My God, the show cannot do political satire anymore. The show has always been a biting satire of Americana, from politics to social norms to television. Yet the show is an international phenomenon and not alienating to a foreign audience. I gotta say, as an Irish person, this episode is impenetrable for me made me think back to being a kid and watching a show. I would have been around seven, so the first seven, so the first 15 seasons would have been in rotation on TV. No way would I have gotten half the jokes, the subversive and snarky humor, and yet clearly something was drawing me in. It's because the show was so multifaceted, operating at so many, lo- so many different levels, pretty much anyone could enjoy it. But this, this is a surface-level political satire that falls flat on its face. Directionless and humorless, complete vapid black hole of an episode. Imagine this episode came on when you were a kid. You'd be so baffled you wouldn't watch the show again. The Simpsons was so impacting. It literally molded my, it literally molded minds. Now it melts them. Whew. I can't say it better myself. Uh, from JJ, the Simpsons can't do satire like it did in the golden years. That said, I don't think every attempt at political commentary in this episode missed the mark, but I was thrown by the complete lack of structure. The entire episode was a string of disconnected scenes, then it ends. 20 minutes of hit and miss jokes with barely a semblance of plot. Sounds more like a Family Guy episode, doesn't it? Full intro, Ralph didn't even appear until 15 minutes in. I was expecting worse, but I still would prefer better. Uh, Casey, before anything else, I loved this couch gag. I hope to see it again soon. Episode was less a plot, more a collection of political jokes they had stored away and decided to cobble together as an excuse to make commentary on the election year. Each of the vignettes made me smile and most, of the chuck- and most got a chuckle out of me, but a Ralph spotlight episode, this was not. I hated how we didn't see Ralph until more than halfway through the episode. Loved a couple of these Act 1 jokes. Poor Maggie, who will take your bond issue. Love the witch Springfield, the one the Simpsons live in, and Wigan Marole is a great pun from March. I will. I agree. I will. I will agree. Though the Wigan Marole was a, a nice little pun that we got. 
I wish True. I wish Marge was better the rest of the episode. Uh, lastly, this really freaked me out. Oh, why was Krusty acting so much like Homer? Felt like Homie the Clown. The mannerisms of the scene with Jon Stewart feel exactly like how Homer acts. Is it just me? No, it's not, Casey. Uh, but I think that's just... Like I said, you know, when I said Marge, that was a Homer line, which he confuses the ad. Like, there's a reason a lot of the jokes go to Homer is because it is the most broad voice they have in the show for characters. And I think problem with this episode, one of the many problems with this episode is they had a lot of jokes that would work in only in Homer's mouth, but instead they didn't want him. They couldn't justify having just Homer talk to Jon Stewart. Like Jon Stewart is a comedian and Krusty is a comedian. So they could justify them having known each other and talked to each other like that. But yeah, it's just, that's Homer's voice. It's not you, but it's just what they've been doing. It's just worse than this episode. It's really noticeable in this episode. Um, uh, Casey finishes the, the ending was confusing I literally f- forgot this episode had no conclusion but for what it's worth Ralph's campaign ad was adorable I'd vote for him what, could it be worse could Ralph be worse oh that's a good question uh, What's yes, not? No, I'm sure in some way I, he could be yes Matt I don't know I don't know anymore uh, from Lauren they tried ish maybe felt like I was watching a train wreck unfolding before my very eyes plot changed so quickly that it caused whiplash what's this episode about uh, the Simpsons trying and failing horribly at doing political satire. There are so many inaccuracies that I was silently screaming at my television the whole episode. Jeez, writers, read a civics book. Know your history. Have it make actual beeping sense. Ah, uh, <laughs> just learn yelling. Uh, I smiled a few times, but mostly I was frustrated and so, so bored. Shock value, seven, just for the inaccuracies and sheer frustration of this episode. Oh, we're with you, Lauren. Yeah. Uh, from Tim, while this certainly doesn't rank as high as Sideshow Bob Roberts, I have to say I enjoyed this episode upon its release. And I enjoyed it now. Yes, it's absurd that an eight-year-old would run for president. But then again, we all thought in 2016 that a certain thing wouldn't happen. Yet it did. So I guess there's a lesson learned here. Norms can be broken and not always for the better. It's for the inciting incident. I do believe Jerk Armor would be the one to create the ironic downfall of Fast Food Alley. I'll say number 266. Ooh, Tim, you're way more generous than I am. I, yeah, I this is, is going to be real low. I really, I am angry. Uh, and finally from Melissa. Oh, God, what was this? I was so confused the entire time. There was definitely an idea. Something could definitely be done with Ralph running for president. That would require a plot. I did chuckle a bit at a few of the jokes, but overall, I was disappointed with the ending. Where was the ending? Did they forget that all episodes have to end? I don't think they forgot. I think they just don't care. I think ultimately is where we're at. Uh, That's it for... That segment, thank you, all our patrons, for watching the episode. First of all, watching this episode. Oh, boy. You pay, and you, you help support us and do that. You're, you are troopers um, for leaving your very thoughtful, very well thought and well written reviews. If you join us, join our patron, Patreon, excuse me, at patreon.com slash The Simpsons Show, you can leave your reviews as well for episodes as we go. Next up, Matt, it is time for... Listener question of the week. Let's try one more number. <gasps> Yellow. KBBL is going to give me something stupid. Well, hot dog, we have a wiener. Yellow. Our listener question of the week this week. So what is your favorite drink? Nice and simple. Lovely. A lot of great answers. Matt, take it away. All right. So we're going to start with Matt, not me. Uh, in terms of alcohol, I'll go with Sazerac. Robbie, is that correct? You're close enough. Okay. Uh, the taste of bourbon, absinthe, bitters, and orange make for an extremely tasty cocktail. Take your word on that, man. Uh, from Casey, peach is my favorite flavor for anything, so my favorite alcoholic drink is Sex on the Beach, which has peach schnapps. Oh, look, peach schnapps showed up again, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who don't uh, listen to our bonus episodes, we talked about peach schnapps in the Bob's Burgers episode for this week. 
to be fair, Sex on the Beach uh, is more than just beach schnapps. So true. So it's it, it, it's it, somewhat acceptable. It, it, I it's way better to me than you're not doing peach schnapps shots at a uh, middle school dance. So that's that's something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, favorite non-alcoholic is peach snapple uh, from JJ Old Moot Cider. It comes in five flavors: berries and cherries, kiwi and lime, pineapple and raspberry, strawberry and apple, and watermelon and lime. But berries and cherries is the best. Perfect with ice. Wow. You almost made me want to try that. Uh, from Alex, water. Seriously, nothing beats an ice cold water on a hot day. Mm. Some Ned Flanders. We got, we, got, we, got a, we got a few Ned Flanders in our answers this week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, water you is delicious. You water in there, your, your, your white bread in there, aren't you? Glass of water on the side for dipping. Yeah. Uh, from Lauren, man, what a hard question. I can't just pick one. Sorry, not sorry. My favorite spring summer drink is lemonade and fall winter is hot chocolate. Year round alcoholic drink is an Amaretto sour or an Amaretto sour. Since I can't drink them as much as I get older, my second go to is a Moscato wine. Oh, man. Lemonade in the summer is just the best, especially pink lemonade because it's extra tart. Mm. Best. Uh, from Tim, uh, from the Burg of San Leandro, California, comes Drake's Brewing Company. One of their offerings is the Denogonizer Double IPA, 9.75% ABV with 91 IBUs. Oh, mix in good company or better yet, bad company, and then do the math. That, that's a lot of IBUs, it feels that's, like. That's, Tim, that's, that is, you're, you're, you're speaking my language. You're speaking my language. Give me that. I need all the hops in the world. Give me, I need to. Oh. God, you people are just, oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, from Andy, uh, for alcoholic drink, it's a Jack and Ginger. If I just want to wet the whistle, I'm perfectly happy with ice water. <sighs> Flanders is again. <laughs> Lastly, nothing beats a drink from the garden hose after mowing the lawn or doing any yard work on a warm day. Okay, you people must not live anywhere near Florida because Florida garden hoses are the hottest water on the planet. Like, it will burn you coming out on a summer day. <laughs> yeah, it's not. worse. Yeah, I go inside to drink, oh. though. Yeah, you don't want you don't Cold want water. hose water. Oh, even even coming from the uh, city sources is hot. Even once you get the, past the water that has been sitting in the hose, that is boiling lava hot. It's still hot coming from the source. Also, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and we had a well water, and it had metal in the water, so we didn't drink anything. Oh, it was, it was yeah, good call. Yeah, gross. Huh. Okay, uh, from Derek, a good blonde Belgian beer. Fell in love with Belgian beer at my many visits to the country and cooked with it constantly when I lived in the north of France. Made a shepherd's pie last night and used a bottle of Duvel instead of wine. When I'm a big fancy translator working in Brussels, I'm eating nothing but mussels and chips and washing it down with a strong blonde beer. For non-alcoholic drinks, I'm very partial to Pepsi Max Cherry at the Momo. First of all, Momo. Really, Derek? Really? Momo? What's wrong with with Momo? Oh, come on. Oh, Oh, you kids today. And this, oh yeah, grumble, blonde. Give me a good blonde. Good IPAs of yeah. blondes. That's you guys are mm, perfect. Oof. Yeah. Also, mussels and ships. Oh, well, with beer. Oh, what's oh. wrong? With, what's wrong? With mussels. I, I was uh, hungry. I assume he's. I assume it's. Are not good. I, that's Matt. I'm sorry that not all of us eat like children all the time. I'm. I'm sorry that things taste like snot. My bad. Hey, hey, hey! It's really. Delicious. I'm not wrong. It's really delicious snot. Okay, it's really okay, delicious. Fair enough. All right, all right. Uh, from Timothy, three otters will emit Valley Pinot Noir when I'm out of crab juice. That is. Thank you, Timothy. Uh, from Melissa, as a barista, I love a cold brew or a brevet. I'm quite literally addicted to brevets at the moment. Besides coffee, I'd have to go with a water or possibly a Red Bull as a last resort to wake myself up from one of, for one of my opening shifts. Sometimes I do feel fancy and I'll make some lemonade. Haha, <laughs> nothing beats homemade lemonade. Um... 
I don't know. I've had some very good craft lemonades. They are quite, quite good. Uh, from our friend Old Painty Can Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo Snrub. Like Lisa, I enjoy a nice chai tea with Tai Chi. Also, I think Matt was mixing up Ghost World and Cool World in the Steve Buscemi episode. You are probably right because I have never seen either of those. Ghost World is really good. Cool World is terrible. Okay. Good to know. I'm not going to watch either of them. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm going to make you watch Ghost World now, Matt. Now you're going to have to. Thanks, Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo. You're you're welcome. All right. Uh, From Sam, the drink of the gods, Dr. Pepper. I will agree with Sam there, although, you know, in my abstaining from the horrible corn syrup, I go with the uh, Dr. Pepper uh, Zero Sugar, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, all right, from at Energy Turtle, coffee and Miller High Life, coffee until five and High Life from then on. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, from at Mitch Doyle 13, it's a toss up between Krusty's non narcotic cough syrup for kids or a chocolate flavored, partially gelatinated, non dairy gum based beverage. Oh, in real life, probably a super cold Passiona or Pasito. Passionate fans of either fight over which is best, but they're both the same. I don't know what either of those are. They're, Bobby, do you? They are Australian uh, sodas. Ooh. They're, they're fruit. Okay. fruit. I, I looked up passion passion fruit flavored uh, sodas. I, I, oh, I would. Passion fruit is amazing from, flavor. Well, I need sodas that taste I, like I that. would. This is my, just a blind guess. It, it seems like a Fanta sort of situation oh okay but with but you know, with passion fruit yeah instead of orange i'm i'm yeah. totally here for that all right uh from at el columbia 88 there's wicked barley brewery here in jacksonville florida they make a neapolitan sour ale that is amazing life-changing even i you know i'm sorry uh lauren uh, sours just smell like vomit there there's no getting well i that. i i can't Sours are great. I love sours too. Uh, uh-huh. I'm have fun with that. They're, I, 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 it's a beer that has a, fl- a flavor. I don't know what's wrong. You, you, you yourself love sour candy, Matt. I don't understand how I you do, can't... but there's something, something about what they do with it that just makes me want to throw up a little bit when I smell a sour. Sorry, just the way it is. I'm gonna, right. I'm not, I'm uh, gonna, perfect. I'm trying to be dip- diplomatic here and not just yelling at you. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, from at Wastecats, tried giving up soda a few years ago and became a heavy tea drinker. I've started drinking soda occasionally since, but I'm happy to have added tea to the mix. Green or sweet tea for me. Uh, sweet tea is is very very good. That's that's what I grew up on, and uh, I had to give it up because of the sugar. But you know, it's all right when you use Splenda instead. All right, uh, from at Groshans, Kevin, root beer or maybe the 20 year old can of Duff my sister brought back from Italy. Ah, oh, root beer. Mm. Uh, from at D Jacobs. Beer for two reasons. One, I gave up soda, so it makes my days better when I can have a nice carbonated beverage, especially a nice craft brew. And two, two alcohol, cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, from Avery, with long consideration, I have decided my favorite drink is a virgin pina colada. Oh, my freaking God, so good. Great show. Keep it with good work. I am with you on that one, Avery. A virgin pina colada is amazing. Like, just, I, I don't even like coconut flavored things in general, but when you put it in that drink, mm, so good. All right. Uh, this next one is from Terry. Uh, when it comes to my favorite drink, it is one that a lot of people don't enjoy here in Australia and is Dr. Pepper. It is strange that I've never been to the U.S. to try the drink, and the only way I can get it is from shops that import it, in which means it is not in our local supermarket, unless you count Costco. However, we don't have a lot of them here. We don't have a lot of them here, too, either, Terry. So, you know, you just have to be lucky and live in a Costco town. All my family and friends say it tastes like cough medicine, but I love it and enjoy it even more when I do get my hands on a can. Thank you for doing the podcast. It's a part of my Tuesday morning routine while I drive to work. Terry from Down Under. 
I mean, Dr. Pepper, it crosses borders, it crosses generations. It's just fantastic. I, uh, Robbie. I, well, I was going to say that, that I, I live, uh, I live within very short driving distance of the, the birthplace of Dr. Pepper, which is uh, Waco, Texas. It's where Dr. Pepper comes from. It is. And it's quite the, a delicious. It, it, it is the oldest, really it is me. the oldest soda in the U.S. Ooh. Yeah. There's a museum there if you want to go to the Dr. Pepper Museum. Maybe I will next time I come to Austin, we're which not, will probably be in the winter because it's hell with summer in Austin. I'm tired of the cold. I'm, I I welcome the heat at this point. I'm it's driving me crazy. Oh, oh my answer, uh, my answer for this question, Matt. Um, like if you're like asking me, like what do I consume the most liquid of on a week weekly basis? It's like sparkling water or energy drink, but I would not consider either of those my favorite. They are <laughs> a coping mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately, I don't think there's anything I enjoy more in my life than a full sugar Coca-Cola. Oh, wow. You're going to like a Mexican Coke with actual sugar? Either way. I love a Mexican oh. Coke. I also, I'm fine with corn syrup Coke. I honestly can't tell much of a difference. They both taste delicious to me. Uh, they are unconscionably unhealthy to drink on a regular basis. Well, yeah. Even and I look, I switched over to Coke Zero, and I still drink so much of it. It was detrimental to my health. But how was it detrimental to your health? What's the difference between a Coke Zero and sparkling water? Well, Coke Zero is is very sweet, Matt, and there are many studies that back up that you have insulin responses to the t- to high levels of artificial sweetness. Even if you're not getting actual sugar in your system, you still get an insulin response, which triggers hunger drives which makes you hungrier throughout the day, which I definitely don't need help being hungrier throughout the day. I am plenty hungry on my own. So I, and it's also bad for your teeth and I don't, you know, the the acid in it is bad for your teeth. Um, But if I could drink full sugar Coca-Cola all day, every day without the terrible health side effects, I would. So that is ultimately going to be my answer. I, it's, I, I, is I I'm it's very good that I don't drink it anymore, but oh my lord, Coke is so good. What is your answer, Matt? Well, I'm like you. Uh, I do not drink my favorite beverages all the time uh, because generally my favorite beverage is a like straight up craft root beer uh, or craft like orange soda in general with you know all of the sugar or whatever it takes because as you went into the lengthy process, uh, those are very very bad for you, but they are incredibly good. Uh, I spend most of my days drinking uh, some sort, some form of diet soda. Usually Diet Coke, uh, Diet Pepsi is trash. Uh, but yeah, because just because I can't have that much sugar in me or I will die. Uh, but yes, when I really want to enjoy a drink, it will be a nice craft root beer. Thanks, everyone, for your answers. Really appreciate them. Next week's question. What Simpsons character would make the best president? Ooh, that's going to be a tough one. And I mean, that's I obviously I asked about U.S. president because simpsons or take place in the u.s but this also applies to whatever you're wherever you live and whatever system of government you live under uh what what simpsons character that's true we all know cletus would run australia perfectly but you know feel free to come up with other responses oh that's i mean honestly let's let's be real here i mean (laughs) i i've seen australia's government the last few years i don't think cletus could be much worse Don't, don't you don't throw stone don't throw stones in glass houses okay we we are no, no. we are not allowed we should us you united states should not be we should, we as citizens of the united states should not be making judgment 
on the governments of any other countries. Literally, zero all other countries. I people are like, oh, they're bad. I'm like, that you're right, but also, hey, man, look around. Uh, that's next week's question. What Simpsons character would make the best president? I'll post that on our social media, Twitter, at Simpsons Show Pod. Uh, you can email us at SimpsonsShowPod at gmail.com or uh, follow us on Patreon, either with with uh, the monetary support or not. Uh, we I post the questions publicly. So as long as you're a Patreon member, of you have an account with Patreon, you can answer the questions without even supporting us all. Um, and then it makes it easier to find because obviously Twitter is uh, a whirlwind of, I don't know, stimuli. On purpose, really. We can move on to our next segment. It's time for the new Google Trivia Challenge. I am too smart. I am too smart. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-R-T. The new Google Trivia Challenge. So Matt and I each challenge each other with three trivia questions. One easy, one medium, and one hard. And try and stump the other. Matt has a four-point lead on me. Is it, is it four points, Robbie, or is, is it three points? That's what we're going to talk about first, Matt. Uh, first thing, before we move on to the questions for today, eh, 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 um, this was brought to my attention by multiple listeners, uh, which I appreciate all of you who messaged me on, on Twitter or, or wherever, uh, commented on Patreon, where uh, Matt asked me a question last week about who, which Simpsons, uh, Springfield Town uh, residents, citizens are in O Streetcar. The musical uh, of a streetcar named Desire, and uh, I got two out of three, and Matt gave me a point, uh, which uh, I don't know. I got to get a point, but uh, my first answer, I answered three questions, three members, and one of them I said was the first one I said was Wiggum because I had this strong memory, Matt, of uh, of Wiggum, of a picture of Wiggum singing uh, uh, in O Streetcar. And then you went, no, Robbie, Wiggum's not in there. And I believe you are even on record saying that I'm the dumbest man that's ever lived. I think you said that aloud, uh, which is really rude. Those were exactly my words. I, I specifically yeah. remember calling you the dumbest person alive. Yeah, the, I'm stupider than the dumbest person. Um, mm -hmm. But then uh, many responses from my our listeners, which uh, would would uh, uh, they 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 provided a lot of evidence matt of uh chief wiggum in o streetcar actually chief wiggum the first lines in o streetcar are chief wiggum what do you have to say for yourself obviously robbie that is chief pigum not chief wiggum uh it's, it's very easy to get those two characters confused so i understand why everyone uh thought that that was chief wiggum but let's let's be real here we all know it was not chief wiggum it was chief pigum Okay, so I deserve two, uh, two full points for that answer. My only, <laughs> my only, uh, my only addendum would be like, I feel like I deserve an actual extra point um, as a penalty to you. You weren't the one to prove me wrong. I don't think you get that extra point. Our listeners get that point. So the listeners now have one point. For okay, this, so, uh, uh, so okay, listen, okay, Matt. Well, I'll let you. I'll let you say that now. But I'm going to ask our listeners now. Um, you guys all have a point. It is up to you uh, if you'd like to give me that point. Uh, you uh, do... I, I don't think it is. I think by the rules <laughs> that you do not the, get that because you do not rules. prove me wrong. Let me pull out a rule book. I mean, this exhaustive. <laughs> it's it's hundreds of pages. It might take me some time At to work point, my yeah. way through it. I'm three points behind Matt now. See, Matt's been cheating. Now I'm now I have to like now. To be fair, 
I was looking at the auditions. I wasn't looking at the actual performance because for some reason, Chief Wiggum is not in the actual rehearsals. I don't know why, but he, he shows up as he, the first person you see. He's in the rehearsals as a background character. Oh, okay. He's not front and center, but he is there. So he's chorus. So is the chorus really part of the show? I mean, let's be honest. You know? Oh, boy. We have. We <laughs> literally have had a music a theater teacher on the podcast with us, Matt. I don't like, I don't, you're, you're going to catch some scorn. Okay. Let's mm -hmm. get started. Are you ready for an easy question? I'm ready. Who is the president of the U S in Bart to the future? I believe that is Lisa Simpson. That is correct. You're correct. All right. Uh, you're for easy question for this week. What president does Ralph play in? I love Lisa. Uh, George Washington. You are correct. I miss that Ralph. I know, right? Ralph, who was good at stuff. That was, that was, I mean, yeah, like he showed flashes. Um, your next question, Matt, your medium question. What is President Lisa's administration going to focus on? Oh. Um, it is three things. I believe it is uh, the three R's, reading, writing, and refilling the oceans. That's too easy. That's <laughs> too easy. You were. too easy. All right. Your medium question. In I Love Lisa, who is Moe's secret admirer? Mo has a secret admirer, and I love Lisa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Again, I haven't watched I Love Lisa a very long time. Doing this podcast has basically dropped my my uh, Simpsons, my my uh, joyful watching of the Simpsons <laughs> to to much much lower levels. Um, is it a named character? It is. Yes. Okay. It's not just some random whatever. No. Okay. Um, I love Lisa. Barney. You are correct. Yeah! USA! USA! Okay. Your hard question, Matt. What is the name of the casino the family visits in Bart to the Future? Oh, God. I have no idea. I'm not even going to bother. Caesar's Pow Wow Casino. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm okay. <laughs> All right. Your hard question. What mm -hmm. was the previous event that Skinner lost a ton of money on leading to him having to water down the orange drink? Oh, boy. Um, lost money on. We are. I want to say this is what first thing popped in my mind. I don't think it's right, but I'm going to say it because I don't have any other guesses. Uh, they bought they wasted the, the, the school wasted a bunch of money on. Uh, basically broken computers, computers that are 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 uh, substandard or something. Uh, I I was looking for an event actually. Uh, oh, it was fire it was... drill follies. Oh, I, I. He opened Skinner opened it up with a fire drill and everyone cleared out. Oh, I don't see. Don't remember that at all, Matt. Um. Mm -hmm. So, well, I didn't gain any points on Matt except for you know the fact that Matt. Uh, really nefariously cheated last last week. So yes, um, cheated, not made a mistake. Matt, how smart you are! It's very hard for me to believe that you uh, you're not cold calculating. Oh, Robbie, you know I'm an idiot. That's not true. You're very smart. Mm -hmm. Except you know when it comes to matters of taste. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what we're going with here. <laughs> I I am only three points behind Matt. I consider that a success. That's all that matters. We both got three points today. That's also a good day. You know, we often there's very those days are 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 less common. Um, so Matt is winning thirty two to twenty nine. We're about halfway through season nineteen. 
And uh, I'm 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 gonna be optimistic, man. I'm gonna be positive and think I'm gonna have a chance this year, this this season. I think I, I'm I'm gonna keep it close. That's my goal, at least. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Uh, what do we do? What do we do next, Nat? I know what we do next. We move on to our final segment, the segment we end every single episode with. It's time for best episode ever. Best episode ever. Best episode ever is the part of the show where Matt and I rank the episodes categorically as we watch them chronologically, eventually compiling a list of every episode ever and how good they are. Took me a little bit. That took me a second there, Matt. I got there, though. Um, Okay. Hey, Matt. Yes, Robbie. Where does this go? I, I believe our prediction was 266. That's, and that's I'm going to have to go no, 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 way no, no, lower no, no, than that. This is crashing down. Okay, so this is real I bad. Our first super offensive one was Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore, which is a 360. Yeah. So I don't think this is actually offensive, so it's going to go higher than that. Um, okay, Matt. I'm going to be a little petty here, okay? Oh, okay. You're right. Okay, first thing I'm going to say. You're correct. Uh-huh. Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore is not even near the worst of like of the doubt outright offensive episodes of The Simpsons. It's not even close. Like mm-hmm. it's well it's mild racism, you know? Like and like the top the top the top pieces like all these at the top are like it's mild race it's not terrible racism. It's not it's like there's no rape. There's <laughs> no sexual assault. Um, there's no blaming for DUI. Yeah, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore. When you compare it to something like Gugu Gaipan, it it feels almost quaint. Uh, and I uh, I'm on the record saying E Pluribus Wiggum has no almost nothing like that really. Like there is a, I think one appearance from a gay stereotype character. It's relatively mild again, but it's it, it in stark contrast to some of these really bad episodes. But I just I I I I, I I I am offended by how lazy this episode is. I I am offended. Yeah. It's it is it is nothing. And when you structure and like I don't know our our viewpoint is going to be different. I think than an average viewer because um, an average viewer turns this on. It's twenty minutes long, then it's over. You don't think about it again. You go, oh, man, that episode was kind of bad, huh? And then it's gone. I we both of us we structure our weeks around these episodes. <laughs> this is our morning. This is literally our Saturday morning is watching and talking about this episode. And when it is this and and I and Matt, I'm at to the point where I suspect that we are going to spend more time on this episode than the Simpsons writers did. It feels like that. It does. It really does. And there's a part of me that wants to just be petty and punish it by putting it lower on the, the list. I don't know if that's fair, if that's reflective of how good this episode or bad, how bad this episode actually is. Um, I think it's lower. than I want to put it below Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Lore. I want to put it below Kill Gill Volumes 1 and 2. Um, wow. I, 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 I don't know if it goes below Tennis of the Menace, though. Tennis the Menace is real stupid. And it's just the family just hates each other the entire time. And it's really that is the thing of Tennis the Menace that strikes that stands out to me. And why all these episodes below it are just so abysmal is that the Simpsons themselves, the characters, just do horrible things. And I can't, nothing redeems it. 
And in a lot of these episodes below do have the same kind of feeling of like, oh, it's empty and it's meaningless and it's lazy, lazily plotted. But most of the episodes below this make more sense than this one. This might this maybe like kill the alligator run missionary impossible, like rival it with nonsense or bonfire the manatees. Yeah, they are just it's complete or crooked ladder that's one or they're like they're just oh, no no substance no structure this might be the lowest if we ranked it on just how like nonsensical incoherent it is this might be the mm-hmm. lowest episode of the entire list but it's relatively innocuous it just personally offends me because i also write and spend a lot of time writing and it i would feel there are millions of people who've watched this episode about millions and millions and millions of people. I would feel the deepest shame if I made something like this and let that many people watch it. Like I would just feel awful. And I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I guess that kind of explains the response from a lot of Simpsons writers over the years when people criticize their work. Um, because that's the only way you can stay sane. Where you go, eh, it's, I'm just making writing a TV show. Stop putting so much credit credence into what I wrote. It's just, it's just a TV show. It's not supposed to be. And you're like, well, that's what they have to say, so they don't drive themselves crazy. So that's my, that is my, that's my, um, what's the word? That is my. I'll rephrase. That is where I would put it, right above Tennis the Menace. I would put it at number three. It would be no new number three sixty one. Oh, okay. So that. Uh, I, that's that's pretty close to where I was thinking because, like we said, I hate putting it below Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore, but when it comes to the racism in some of the much lower ranked episodes, it's not. Matt, I'm gonna here. This is often awful. oftentimes this is what I come back to when I'm when I'm don't know you know I'm waffling. I uh-huh. would one thousand percent of the time watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore again. See, I don't know that I would. I mean, it would be real close. Um, Kill Gill Volumes Kill Gil One. Volumes. I would absolutely watch either. I would watch that episode. I would watch that episode before I watch this ever again in my entire life. I I would definitely watch this. Kill Gill again. I just I really hate Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Awards just because of how incredibly racist it is. But uh, I probably would watch it more than this. This episode is just idiotic at best. So three sixty one. You can you can deal. I can get behind that. Yeah. Okay. Let's insert a little spot there. Oh no! This new new three sixty two. Excuse me, I miscalculated. Um, like it matters that much, but E Plurius Wiggum. Let's plop it in there. The new number three sixty two on the list. Excuse me. Um, it's right below Kill Gill Volume is one and two. Right above Tennis the Menace. A new number one seventy one on our post Golden Years ranking. Um, in last place is still Codependence Day, and in first place still. Homer's enemy, which will never be surpassed. I'm fairly positive at this point. However, go to bed state could be what up one day. There's truly terrible episodes of Simpsons still to come. Um we have to we have one more thing we need to do, Matt, before we move on. One more question to answer. Okay. And that question is do we shoot this episode out of the cannon? The cannon! The cannon! The cannon! The cannon! The cannon! I I don't see any possible reason why this would be kept in the can. It's just stupid jokes and a Ralph who doesn't make any sense. Nothing will be lost by this being destroyed. <laughs> Nothing at all. Fire the cannon.
Goodbye. Goodbye, E Pluribus. Wiggum. You are banished. pointless and we will not miss you. We will not miss you. Put a big letter there. Turn no goodbye, E Pluribus Wiggum. Fire it off into the cannon. Next. Oh. Oh, Matt. It is time. We are here. This should I'm actually looking forward to this because at least this will be interesting to talk about. You know what episode we got next? Uh I'm terrified to ask. It is time for that '90s show. Oh boy! Um, it's I remember time. this being real bad, so we're gonna see. It is time for the the first attempted retcon of The Simpsons. The first the, the organ organizationally designated retcon, as yeah, in this we're is straight the, up going to this contradict is, this everything. Is, this is the first real attempt at a reboot, of a soft reboot of The Simpsons continuity to make it make sense. And uh, we get sadgasm in here. Um, Weird Al appears. I'm, I've, mm-hmm. I've watched this episode before. I've not, you know, most 19 season 18 episodes I've not seen before. I have seen that 90s show before. I hated it uh, when I watched it. And we're going to see how it holds up. And I think it'll be very interesting to talk about about how you, if and how you can retcon and reboot the history, the continuity of The Simpsons. The very so very be prepared loose... for a, a long discussion. Yeah, this this episode probably will be very long. It's fine, it's fine. Uh, that'll be next week. You guys can watch along with us. Leave your review. Uh, join us on Patreon to do so. Uh, that, our website is thesimpsonshow.com. It has links to everything, uh, our Twitter to our RSS feed, and a link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash thesimpsonshow. I'll say it once again. Uh, support us there. You get access to so much stuff for a very little amount of money. Uh, you can also pay for a year ahead of time at a, at a discount. It's, just, it's pretty good value, uh, especially considering hundreds of episodes of podcasts you get just for five bucks a month, two bucks a month. Um, that'll do it. For us, before we go, what do I say? I say I'm on Twitter at Robbie Dorman, and my website is RobbieDorman.com. Uh, I mentioned it multiple times this, in this episode, but I am a writer, and I have 10 novels. My newest novel, Burial, it's a post-apocalyptic Western, comes out basically the time you have you hear this. If you're listening to this literally any day except for the moment it comes out, Burial is out. Go buy it. It is available. There's a link in the show notes for it. It's on Amazon. You search my name. You go to my website. There's a link to it there. Uh, you go to my Twitter. There's a link to it there. You search my name on Amazon. You'll find it there. It is post-apocalyptic Western about a lady gunslinger uh, trying to get revenge by burying the man who wronged her in, in, a, in, a, in a radioactive hellscape to ensure he gets sent to the deepest, darkest hell. Uh, it's my best book yet. It's uh, has been called by someone who's not me my masterpiece. Uh, it's very very uh, approachable by people who, are, if you're not if you not not a horror fan and you haven't got any of my books yet, it's a good book to get into if you want to buy one of my books. It's a perfect chance. You, Kindle is only five dollars, guys. Five bucks, ten bucks for print. And I have a print copy right next to me. It's really nice, nice. Uh, like I like my little my paperbacks. They're really charming to me. Um, it's in uh, and you did hear, hear a big thing on the front but i'm gonna keep plugging it because uh, it's my show you should go buy my book buy my book matt does not participate in social media you will not find him uh that is true i spend all of my time uh 
going through uh, and, and taking care of kittens. In fact, I spent a half hour last night uh, bathing and picking fleas off of a kitten uh, with tweezers because that's what you do. If you'd like to see the current 11 interns that we have uh, going through our system uh, and possibly want to hire one of them for yourself one day, you can check out Kitten Turns, K-I-T-T-I-N-T-E-R-N-S on Instagram, and you can see their adorableness, and eventually we'll have some before and afters of the new babies. Uh, they, they were in rough shape, but now they're good. You know, they, they graduated from one of those uh, lower-tier universities. So, you know, they, they, they didn't go to Kitten Harvard, but we got them, we got them trained up. So, uh, how many cats are in your house now, Matt? 17. Matt lives in a, I'll say this again, Matt lives in a single-family home. <laughs> that not, is true, not 1,200 some, square feet. He does not live in a ranch. Uh, it doesn't, it's not a mansion. He has 17 cats and a dog and a turtle. Thankfully, 11 of the cats are incredibly tiny and take up about, you know, five square feet of space. They are very, they're very cute, too. I've seen, I've saw the pictures. They're very cute. They're mm-hmm. kittens. How could they not be cute? You should follow that the Instagram. You should buy my book and follow that uh, Kitten Turns Instagram. It's very good. It's very full. That's of- true. Read, Rob, read Robbie's book, get incredibly depressed about hu- humans and the human condition, and then look at kittens and make yourself feel better. That's, I, okay, fair, but still, you don't have to say it like that. You know, <laughs> that'll do it for us today. I'm Robbie, and I'm Matt. And you watch this episode.